This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. According to Ayurveda, before the beginning, or what science calls the Big Bang, there was awareness of oneness. Within the original awareness of oneness arose a desire to experience itself that created duality of awareness or experience. This duality awareness of experience created the energy of friction and the manifestation of energy or prana. Some of this manifested energy condensed becoming matter. To understand matter, one needs to experience it, and so this trinity, awareness, experience, and energy matter came into being, with the result, our physical universe with its diverse attributes. Ayurveda is a vital science and art healing system that provides guidance for living in harmony with our inner microcosmic and outer macrocosmic environments, as well as other beings around us. Its way of teaching us is very poetic because life is poetic with much more going on between the lines and the wave particles of potential matter than is readily apparent by just the energy material facts of the wave particles themselves. This is said with the understanding that our minds manufacture fact. We develop the fact by giving it further order, form, and structure. Ayurveda is unique in that it clearly informs us how to live in harmony with nature it is the wisdom of living, one may call it the original ecological worldview, where the fundamental interdependence of all living systems is primary. Ayurveda encompasses all aspects of life, our physical bodies, our thoughts and emotions, our spiritual connections, our relationships and interrelationships to each other and the other living systems in our environment. Ayurveda teaches us how to maintain a dynamic harmony with these concepts to maintain and regain our health. Valeria Tellez interviews Judith Shamish, PhD, the author of The Physics and Poetry of Eastern Herbal Medicine, How Modern Physics Validates Eastern Medicine. Judith is a systems herbalist who has been a clinical practitioner since 1994. Founder of Greenfingers Herbal Medicine Clinic, she practices Ayurvedic, classical Chinese, and Western herbal medicines and teaches apprentices. She has served on the Governing Council of the American Herbalist Guild, Arizona Herb Association, and Rain Star University College of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine, and has been adjunct faculty of the Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine. A yoga instructor and poet, she also was an assistant curator for the Phoenix Art Museum and worked in geology and archaeology. Meet Judith at judithshamash.com. Here's the interview with Judith Shamash.
in your own words, who is Judith Shamash? Judith Shamash, myself, me, myself, and I, well, I'm originally a scientist. I was trained as a scientist and went into, of all things, herbal medicine back in 1974 when I started studying, of course, herbal medicine, but Western herbal medicine. At that point, there wasn't a lot available to study, but I got my hands on whatever I could. And then uh, from there, I graduated to, in 1994, to Eastern Herbal Medicine. And that has um, profoundly changed my life. I see the world in a very different way than I did as a linear thinker, as a scientist. I see it more as a systems thinker now, with all its little parts and pieces added in. So... That's me in a very short nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, I know. But what inspired you to become a systems herbalist? A systems herbalist? Well, basically, a systems herbalist is an Eastern medicine herbalist. What inspired me to become an herbalist in the first place was I wanted to take care of myself and my family. I had this not good feeling about Western medicine in general. So I didn't feel like I wanted to subject myself to them. My experience as a child, and I was very healthy as a child, was only going to the doctor for immunizations. And of course, they poked me with this horrible needle, which I hated. Yeah. I and, know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they were just people. And I thought, well, you know, they're just people. And what do they know that I don't, can't learn? So that's when I got into herbal medicine because I wasn't in a position to study Western medicine and having the funds to go to school for that. And it frankly didn't appeal to me very much. So that's how I ended up in herbal medicine in general. Do you consider that to be your purpose or a passion? Is that the same? It was a passion and my mission. I would say, in my life. In fact, I raised my daughter completely without the intervention of Western medicine at all. She never, ever saw a doctor until she was on her own because she, she was incredibly healthy. We kept her that way. Yeah, I love that, Judith. What a, an inspiration for all of us, your messages. An open question I have for you is about the idea of health. From your perspective, what define health and what is to be healthy? That's the question. To me, health means that all the systems of our bodies are working and communicating and are interdependent, interrelated, and are talking to each other in a very healthy way, meaning in a very communicating way, and that pieces and parts of the system are all involved. There's no piece or part left out. And to me, that, of course, means the triad of the body, mind, and spirit, all working together to keep that harmony and that music of health playing in the body. What are the signs when we are in harmony with body, mind, and spirit? What would be the signs? Well, the signs generally are that you are moving forward in your life, your body, whatever you request of your body, it's able to help you do. Your mind is clear, you're 
pretty much an optimist and you're looking forward to the sunrise and the beautiful sunsets of the day and and your spirit is very much involved in all of that. To me, if your spirit is not involved, and, and that's partly feelings and emotions, if your spirit's not involved, then you're still missing a piece there. <laughs> so that has to be very much part of the entire, like I said, the triad of everything working together and interrelated, interdependent. And everything hums along in harmony. And this is not a place to stay, right, Judith? It's not a destination, per se. We have different things affecting us on a daily basis. So those different things constantly try to put us out of alignment. But it's a healthy body, mind, spirit that is able to come back on track without harboring all that negativity that may have happened in the past. So all that baggage that we carry with us, well, it's truly baggage and it is truly stays in the body unless you let it go. Wow. Yeah. That's part of the spiritual process of letting go so that you can move forward and find out what your path in life is really about. Right. So in a way, if I understood correctly, you are relating the spirit to emotions, feelings, and also a sense of purpose. Is that how you describe what the spirit is? Well, um, emotions, where that actually fits in, I'm, you know, that could be part of the mind too. So, I mean, it's all interrelated. You can't separate the pieces out any more than you can separate an organ out and have the body still function. That's a beautiful message to be, to know, of course, to be aware of and to be reminded of. And I have interviewed, I mentioned to you before, we talked briefly, it was uh, Fridjof Capra. Yes. I interviewed him recently. He brought that to my attention from a scientific point of view. He's a physicist. Absolutely. Talk to me for a moment about him, uh, Judith, and how did you come across Capra's work? Well, I came across his work through my former son-in-law, who was also a scientist, when I started writing my book. Well, I started writing my book at least a, a year before I learned about Fritjof Capra. I showed my son-in-law the parts of the book that I had written, and, and he goes, wow, this sounds kind of like Fritjof Capra's work. And <laughs> yeah. I'm going, yeah. And <laughs> right. so I got a copy of the book, and I went, oh, my gosh, <laughs> we think alike. So I actually studied his online course with uh, Fritjof back oh, several years ago now. And one very brilliant man, very special man. And his work, of course, has been very special. But he was one of the first. There were, uh, I think there was one person before him, and whose name escapes me at the moment, who combined physics and Eastern medicine, but not in a way, or Eastern philosophy, I shouldn't say medicine, he was mostly a physicist, didn't have any expertise in Eastern philosophy or medicine, but he made those connections. And of course, his book is now sort of a uh, classic. It's uh, fascinating how these studies and discoveries from scientists, they connect or relate to spiritual findings, spiritual insights and understandings of life. I'm really fascinated by it how similar they are. Very similar and very similar. A lot of physicists 
talk very much in poetic language when they try to describe their experiences in observing the experiments that they have seen and the implications of those experiments that they have discovered, because they're all so thought-provoking. So when you start reading these comments from David Bohm, Paul Dirac, Heisenberg, all these other people, including Einstein, they're all very poetic. It's amazing how poetic they are. So it's almost like um, there's no other way to describe the experience. No, because you're crossing that threshold into a realm where measurement has no meaning. Mm, And once you have no meaning to a measurement, well, how else do you talk about it? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. But singing (laughs) in a way. Wow. Do you feel that we are getting closer to bring the gap closer between science and spirituality? Are we getting closer to the idea of merging? Like the way you speak and Copper speaks and all the other scientists, do you think in general, are we getting closer? Yes, I would say actually the human race in general, I see an increase in awareness and consciousness of other things besides the three dimensions that we're familiar with. But I think on a grassroots basis we are, but in terms of our leadership, I'm not seeing that at all. Mm, So unfortunately, we need new leaders who think systemically, that is systems thinking, instead of linear thinking that, oh, if I do this, I'm going to get that. (laughs) When there's so many other influences in between their thought and their decision that should be affecting their decision, but unfortunately does not. What is your vision for what do you call true healthcare system? That's what it is, basically, leaders. A true healthcare system would mean that we would have to dismantle the current structure and really start all over with people who build it based on systems thinking. Because right now it is all about linear thinking. And that was implemented back, though Western medicine has been here for about 150, 175 years, the current structure was built in about 1900 by the ultra-wealthy of the time, the Carnegies and the Roosevelts and so forth of, of that era. And it was really based on the bottom line, how much money can we make out of this? And as I have said not in my book, but as I say, people were the means to make that money. They were never the purpose, unfortunately. So that's why we're seeing a constant or consistent reliance on laboratory numbers when that is only part of the story of who the patient is. So that has to all be changed and have to be, has to be completely changed by people who think systems thinking. So the doctors have to think differently. And that would be mainly the medical students that are coming into practice here shortly. Hopefully I will have some input on that. Oh my God, that would be amazing, Judith. Please do. (laughs) Yeah, I know you're doing your part to serving that purpose, which is wonderful Mm -hmm. to see life doing what it does, supporting itself. What are some of the obstacles to healing at a personal level? 
I would say a lot of the obstacles to healing are the frenetic lifestyle most people live, the quick, fast food that's available that is so detrimental to our bodies, and the choices that those people who are in that hamster wheel of performance, performance, performance have to kind of go to in order to get as much production in the day as possible. And what people need to realize, it's not really about production. It's really about what are they producing? (laughs) What is the value of what it is that they're producing? And most corporations are, which is where most people are employed, or a lot of people are employed, are are really not about the people, it's about the bottom line again. And it's not about the systems who go into making up that entire corporation. They're getting better. There are models out there that I think there's one, I think it was in Spain, or implemented in Spain, where they have a very person-friendly, human-friendly corporate model that works extremely well. Yeah, you always intrigued me. I remember when I was in Brazil, still seeing fast food restaurants, places like McDonald's and Burger King. Mm-hmm. And I never understood why would someone sell those kinds of foods that's actually killing the body, not promoting health. It didn't make sense to me back then. It's all about how much money can they make off of selling one meal of a McDonald's or one hamburger or I don't know. I don't. I never see those places as a food place. Right. Right. Oh, you don't see. Just, yeah. Good. They yeah. just don't register in my in my realm. <laughs> yeah, that came to me long, long ago, and mm-hmm. now it makes so much sense because of this way of thinking, thinking about results and where can I get on my own in a way without concern with the people along the way. I really believe that it's all about helping ourselves and others. I love the idea that we can do that. You wrote the book, The Physics and Poetry of Eastern Herbal Medicine, How Modern Physics Validates Eastern Medicine. So you mentioned earlier, just briefly about the book. I love the poetry in it too. I have some of them here that caught my attention. But talk to me about the main purpose and intention of writing your book. Well, there was so much I had as a clinician, so much I had discovered in working with people and working with this beautiful concept of Eastern medicine and how it changed my view of the entire world, my life, body, mind, and spirit. And it just really impacted my life in such a a deep way that I felt that I needed to write the book because people needed to hear the beauty of this kind of medicine and how when you study the concepts, the principles behind Eastern medicine, even if you don't practice it, but study the principles behind it, how it changes your view of the world to expand exponentially and how it teaches you how to understand people on a very deep level and a very all-encompassing level. And it also taught me the value of so many aspects of people and the different kinds of people there are. So 
how that all contributes to make the world go round and enriches everybody's life by it. How beautiful, Judith, this, this intention to share what I call wisdom, inner wisdom or mm -hmm. inner truth. That is truly, truly beautiful to me and has been. So you're the founder of Green Fingers Herbal Medicine Clinic. Yes. Talk to me about that, the Green Fingers Herbal Medicine Clinic. And mm -hmm. uh, what services do you offer there? And how do people come to know more what do you do from that point of view? Well, I never have advertised. I never really wanted to advertise. My best clients have always come from referrals. And I've been doing this for so many years. I have a pretty full practice, although I don't practice as much. So people find me through somebody else who was already a client. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not yeah. easy to find. But the right people always come to me. <laughs> and I don't have a shingle out. I'm not open to the public because most of the public have been trained to want a silver bullet. I don't have silver yeah, bullets. so true. I have to train my clients to change their lifestyle. And if they're not willing to do that, there's minimal things that I can do. Because it's usually their lifestyle that got them into the problem in the first place. So getting clients by referral, they're already sort of pre-informed as to how I work and what it might be expected of them. So if they're willing to do what it takes to help themselves and help me help them get better, then I welcome them. You're also a yoga instructor, right, Judith? I've taught yoga for like 40 years. Yeah. And uh, chapter 11 in your book, it's titled Person Condition Relativity. Yes. And there you have the eight principles of herbal medicine. Yes. Talk to me about that for a moment. Oh, well, the eight principles. Well, there's um, the basics of that um, or the eight properties of the principles is um, about cooling and heating. So the those aspects are about environmental aspects. So you're going to, the question usually is, well, what does the environment have to do with us internally? Well, we have the same environment internally as we do externally. We call it macrocosm and microcosm. So we have aspects in the environment that are cooling and heating. We have dry climates. We have wet climates. We have we have so many different climates. When I explain to a client the condition that they have in their body, I don't talk to them in terms of Chinese medicine or Ayurvedic medicine because they haven't studied it. So what I do is offer an analogy in terms of climates. So I talk about, for example, uh, let's talk about the climate in the southeast part of the United States, which would be like... Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, all of those wet and damp and hot or hotter climates. So when you have those kinds of things going on in your body or have accumulated a lot of wetness in your body, which you can do, or you've accumulated a lot of heat in your body, which can happen, and when you combine the two, what do you get? You get a bog or you get a swamp. And a swamp conditions, as you probably know, can breed all kinds of nasty things in the body. 
<laughs> none of which you want. And so by eliminating those conditions with herbal medicine, and we use herbal medicine according to the same principles of drying, heating, cooling, moistening, and so forth. So we would counteract that kind of condition with certain kinds of herbs that have those qualities of drying the wetness and cooling the heat so that we eliminate that swamp condition in your body so it doesn't breed disease. So it is about balance again, right, Judith? It's bringing harmony to the body. Absolutely. Well, we can't have harmony without things working properly. Right. Not too much and not too little. It's the... And you do talk about excess and deficiency That's mm -hmm. in that section. You explain that. So yes, excess would be too much heat. So we need a certain amount of heat to have all of our chemical reactions going on, which are innumerable. So we have to have a certain amount. So that would be a normal amount. But when we have too much, then it starts consuming the body and we get other kinds of conditions that are undesirable. Yeah, I hear so much wisdom every time I talk to Ayurvedic practitioners or mm -hmm. yoga teachers. It's incredible how accurate it is. It's incredible. I have to use that word because I can't believe. Like I was looking into the, um, I don't know how to pronounce that, the three doshas. The vata, pitta, and the kapha, I believe. Yes. That's how you pronounce it. Yes. Yes. When you truly understand the doshas, and I like to take it all the way back to the common denominator of the five phases, and then into the six tastes, and then into the three doshas. Once you learn all of that, the world becomes a much more profound place to exist. And the there's so much wisdom in that just those three levels of understanding those three concepts of the five phases the six tastes and the three doshas it changes the way you think you see people like i was saying in the beginning you see people differently you see the world differently you see how it works differently and how it can be improved in so many ways But there is a huge amount of wisdom in the Ayurvedic tradition, mm -hmm. and it's one of my favorite things to study because of that. Mm, yeah, I can imagine. I have some passages here that I found under the um, fundamentals of Ayurveda. You write so much there, but you wrote, Ayurveda is unique in that it clearly informs us how to live in harmony with nature. It is the wisdom of living. One may call it the original ecological worldview where the fundamental interdependence of all living systems is primary. That caught my attention because it resonated so true. And then you also talk about the um, chapter seven, the Big Bang Theory. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love that too. It's really amazing how you explain non-duality, how it came to be. I mean, it's just incredible to me how you can get to this spiritual understanding through science, through the uh, observation of nature. I would love to hear more from you, Judith, about this uh, awareness of oneness. That's the original universal life force, basically. That is the creator of all that is. 
And when we have that, when we have that awareness of oneness, we are then the observer, uh, but not the observed. So, it, and where we live, which is the three dimensions, basically, we can be an observer, but we're also the observed because we're physical beings. So, to get to an awareness of oneness, you have to kind of go outside of yourself, cross that threshold into a realm where there's everything, but there's nothing at the same time, because it's all energy, it's all consciousness, it's all awareness. And also the, um, let's say, not the awareness, but what does it take for us to come to this understanding, Judith, to come to see the world, ourselves, and this reality from those perspectives, from those lens? Does it take experience? Yeah, like in your case, is that a practice? I think it takes study of the Eastern medicine principles because that's our blueprint. I'm not saying it just to study Eastern medicine, but I'm talking about the principles of Eastern medicine, which gives us the understanding of that. And then moving on into really embodying those principles, not so that it becomes a religion because religion is very static, but it becomes a living way of being. And once you embody that so completely, I can't think of anything better. <laughs> I mean, I truly, uh, and I've studied a lot of things. I yeah. mean, I've been and done a lot of things in my life. But Ayurveda has that basic, very basic understanding of life. And it brings such a profound meaning to life. And once we learn to think, and it's systems thinking, so once you learn to think that way, there's no turning back. The world has to change. The world will change when we teach our children and teach our upcoming medical doctors and medical professionals and other fields as well. But once we start teaching them systems thinking They won't be able to do what they're doing now. And even our politicians. Personally, I think politicians should have to go to school in order to become politicians. And they should learn systems thinking. Wouldn't that be an enlightening, enlightening world? I really believe that they should. And I think parents should also have to go to school to learn how to become parents. That would also change the world from the cradle on. And in your book, you do speak about, there's a passage where you talk about this view, perspective, individual perspective of the mind. You say time, space, minds organized out of the energies of time and space are subject to the mechanisms of time and space. Therefore, our ability to perceive the nature of the universe is limited to the realm of the mechanistic mind. Right, right, correct. So it's changing this mechanistic mind to the systems mind, which I love to call it the expanded mind, <laughs> which is the same thing, right? Expanded mind. I call it I call it cosmician or a cosminative, where you cross that threshold into the intuition of the cosmic mind. Mm, oh wow! And the only way to do that is 
uh, that I know of, and I guess there's other ways, but meditation, meditation and embodying systems thinking, that'll take you partly there. I love the poem they have in your book I mentioned earlier. There's one on herbs. I love that one for some reason. So I have it here. Do you have that in front of you, Judith? I would love for you to recite that. Okay. I'm, let me get there. I think I know where it is. Okay. Here it is. Right. Found it. Page <laughs> yeah. 21. Herbs, green physicians, mighty messengers of life, rooting their wisdom into our bodily turf. Verdant offerings remember us to mend with gentleness, compassion, bring us to blossom end. From seed to flower, all a bouquet of power to grow the planted memory of our nature divinity. Yes, a trillion times to that truth. And that's what herbs do, basically. They remind the body, they, they're like a a software system that goes into the body and says, this is how you do this. <laughs> yeah. I'm reminding you how to do this. Yeah. So let's get back on track. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. How amazing. I have heard that when horses, when they have cancer, they start eating different herbs, a different type Absolutely. of plants to heal themselves. And they do that based on the taste, which is based on the five phases of the elements. That's how they know. They can taste, they can smell what's in that plant to help them heal. How supportive nature, when we are really in touch with nature, which for us, I call it intuition, your life flows in a way. It's so much easier to be healthy, isn't it? Oh, always. You're always informed on a regular basis what to do, what not to do. It's all, you have that, that incredible sublime divine connection almost all the time as long as you but you have to listen yes right <laughs> which is another practice isn't it because we get absolutely. distracted a lot absolutely of times. what is the main distraction judith from your perspective what distracts us most from our own intuition i would just say the the western lifestyle and the way we've been raised that money is the be all and end all that that's what our lives are all about is getting it and keeping it or making more of it or instead of all the other values that go into making up an enriched life like family and friends and work is should not be the first thing that we think about when we wake up in the morning it should be our family our people that are near and dear to us you probably have heard about the loving kindness i think meditation from buddhism it's all about wishing the best for people in the world, people around us and ourselves. Mm -hmm. May you be at peace. May you feel the love, the unconditional love. So I woke up today thinking this way, almost like a prayer. Because you said that, I see how that has affected me in a way. It's like it changed. It's almost like it has changed the way I interacted with my husband, my mother-in-law, my dog. It's amazing. You start valuing each and every one of them and all the aspects and the differences that encompass them. And so those people in your life have a tremendous value, including your dog. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Yes, <laughs> Including yes, yes. the birds that are singing outside <laughs> yeah. your window. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, they all have a value. So why aren't we taking care of them in every way we can, whether it's to tell them we love them or to help them through a crisis or to 
just take care of them in whatever way we can. That, to me, is the essence of really living, not this rushing to work and rush hour and getting a paycheck. And the world needs to be restructured. Yeah, wow. (laughs) Just like the medical system. And I think once our leaders start thinking systemically, then I and our institutions change and are restructured by more systemic values, then I think we'll start seeing our lives change for the better in that way. Um, what can I say for that vision? It's a prayer. The way you say it, it's, it feels to me as a prayer, as um, this heart. It's coming from the heart, isn't it? It felt that way. I think one of the endorsements or reviews I got from, I think it's on Goodreads, by a woman named Nicole she said how the book had science in it, it had the poetry in it. She said, but most of all, it had emotion. That's where we live. We live in emotion. That not, No, they shouldn't necessarily rule our lives, but emotion is our lives. It's how we respond to life. Yeah, I felt this way to me. That's interesting. The same thing. It's like this is a message from the heart. And that's what Ayurveda, that's what the blueprint of Ayurveda brings to the world. I think it would be wonderful if we could teach that to our children. Yes. Thank you so much again, Judith, for being you, for being open to life. Thank you. And thank you for being you and everything that you're doing to improve all of us. Thank you for the encouragement. The body appreciates, as I always say, is the only part that complains sometimes. <laughs> Nothing else. There's a poem that you also, it's from Fridjof Capra. Yeah. You mentioned him, and I think you have a, some quotes there from him, but this one caught my attention where he writes, there is motion, but no moving objects. There is activity, but there are no actors. There are no dancers. There is only the dance. Ah, lovely poem. Yes, yes, beautiful poem. But that's also indicating, here's a physicist and saying, when you cross that threshold to become the true observer, there's nothing there. There's only the (laughs) dance of energy, only the dance of awareness. I believe humanity will always remain physical beings, we can definitely advance our consciousness to become more awareness. And a lot of people are now moving in that direction, or at least the people that I'm in, I know of and, and are aware of. What a wonderful happening, right? Yes, it's about time. And eventually, I believe it may take thousands and thousands of years, but eventually we'll all live lives of light and life. And I often ask the question, and I don't think I have the answer for it, but I'll ask you, have you heard of any time in history, in human history, that we lived under that light of awareness? I am not aware of that. Of course, history, we only have written history that goes back maybe seven, 8,000 years. Mm, yeah. Before that, we have no written history. So I kind of doubt it. I think humanity is still evolving, consciously evolving. Right. So I think right. we've reached the epitome of our physical evolution, but I believe now it's time for consciousness evolution. I remember asking somebody a question about what is life? And then she said, an experiment. <laughs> and I'm like, that resonates true. <laughs> Whatever this is, <laughs> an experiment. I would just say it's an experience. <laughs> to me, you know, good things, bad things that happen, it's just experience. Yeah, right, Judith. It's um, all experience. 
For some of us, it's not easy to think that there's no purpose behind the experience. I know you talk about the evolution of consciousness, but some say that it's just the experience, as you said. The experience, I feel, adds to our consciousness. Mm. Mm. To me, that's what it's all about. So it's every experience comes to us for a particular reason to enhance our consciousness, whether we accept it or not, or see it as positive or negative or not, is really up to us. So a bad experience can actually be one of of great learning and learning in terms of consciousness, not in terms of saying, I'll never do that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but, right. um, but that too, of course, but not to hang on to the negativity of what you may have felt while you were experiencing that. Oh, I love this idea. And the vision that one day as humans will get to that level of experience and awareness where we don't judge anymore the feelings. We dance with them. Like Fritjof Kapper said, yes, it's just, let's dance with, yes, what, that's a beautiful way of putting it. Let's just dance with other people. And we don't have to dance with them for a long time. We just dance with them for the time being, and then we move on. So rather than judging them, yeah, people are just people, and they have a value. They have an intrinsic value. We may not know what that is in our limited view, but they do have an intrinsic value. Oh, I love that message too. Thank you, Judith. Because, yeah, it's so easy to judge and to criticize. But when we come from this perspective, then the heart opens and now it's more curiosity. It's, uh, yeah, it becomes a dance. I love this idea that we can dance with whatever is present. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the idea of being present to what is present, being in the moment. So my last, last question is, what three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? Well, besides coming into this world, that's one experience. Bringing another person into the world was one of the highlights of my life. My daughter, who is an incredible human being. And I would say experiencing true, great, unconditional love with somebody else. Mm. that is um wow yeah (laughs) that's an experience that well that tops it all i don't know what else to say (laughs) ah yeah almost like no words no no yeah period right yeah period there's no words after that i mean you can i mean i'm a poet so i can write all kinds of love poetry and i have and for the person i deeply care about Boy, words words are worthless when it really comes to that kind of experience. And truly accepting another person for who they are, because they are who they are, to me, I think that's the highlight of living. That's another powerful, empowering message that I would love to explore with you, mm-hmm. perhaps a different episode. Yeah, I would love to talk to you about how do we learn to love unconditionally, accept the other unconditionally, and at the same time, improve their lives, in the same time, influence them to mm-hmm. transform and grow. That's another dance, isn't it? Yes, it sounds to we're, me. we're yeah. mirrors for each other, I think. We don't necessarily want to change them, change them, but we want to mirror who they are and enhance the light in that mirror so that is reflected back to them. And to me, mirroring somebody is uh, and have them mirror back to you who you are and also 
increase the light for you so you can see yourself more clearly. That, to me, is is an incredible experience. I know, it sounds like it. And I would love to explore that more with you <laughs> in the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. love <laughs> everything about you, Judith. It just uh, resonates true and light and, and playful and wise and divine. Thank you for being you again. Oh, thank you for being you, Valeria, and, and bringing this to the world. So bless you. Thank you. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Um, I don't have products. I just have a <laughs> <Yeah>. book. That's uh, <laughs> my, my website, uh, www.judithshamash.com. And that's J-U-D-Y-T-H-S-H-A-M-O-S-H.com. And you will find some information there about the work that I do, my book, of course, is available. You can get signed copies if you want to order from my website. So, and, and a way to contact me as well. So I would love to hear from you. If you've read my book, I would love to hear your comments and your response and constructive criticism. Wonderful. I'll have the link on your podcast profile too, the Thank website you. link. Thank you so much again, Judith. And we'll talk Thank soon. You. Bye for now. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Judith Shamash and her work, please visit judithshamash.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.